Hello, this is Leslie Garfield-Tenzer, and this is Lot of Fact. So it's been a minute. I've been focusing on a new podcast, Legal Tenzer, Casual Conversations on Newsworthy Legal Topics, which I'm producing with West Academic. Like Lot of Fact, Legal Tenzer is also available wherever you listen to podcasts. On Legal Tenzer, I speak with professors and practitioners about cases before the Supreme Court, legal issues in the news, and other topics of interest to those engaged in the law. The point is to provide listeners with enough information about a particular issue that they can continue the discussion themselves. But not to worry, Law to Fact will remain in existence to help you study for law school exams. As long as I'm teaching, I will keep it available. And from time to time, I will bring you important conversations. And today's conversation is an important one to those of you applying to law school. Today, I'm speaking with Steve Schwartz, founder and CEO of LSAT Unplugged. We are talking about the Law School Admission Council's change in the LSAT. And here's my discussion with Steve Schwartz. Steve, thank you for joining us again. You are my go-to girl when it comes to understanding the LSAT. And I just got back from a couple law school admission forums. And it's always a pleasure for me to be able to refer you because that's how much I believe in you, even though I have no interest or financial gain in what you're doing, but you always impress me. So when I heard that the LSAT was going to change the way they test and um, also you know, hearing, you know, from being in the law school community and the admissions community, things about rumblings about the ABA requirements for admission, I knew who to come to. So thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me on, Leslie. Always a pleasure to speak with you. And I always appreciate the kind words. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So we, uh, there's two things I want to talk about. And the first is um, L- LSAC, which is the Law School Admissions um, Committee Conference. Council. 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 It could have right. been any of those. Though. <laughs> Third time's the charm, which we affectionately call LSAC. Um, and I heard there, or you told me, I shouldn't even say I heard, you informed me that they're changing the um, test, the LSAT, with regard to logic games. And I think what piqued my interest most is that it stems from a lawsuit. Can you talk a little bit about the origins of the need for the change? And then we can talk about what the change is. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So this was quite a few years back. Of course, lawsuits take time to unfold. The consequences take time as well. Back in the fall of 2019, LSAC settled a lawsuit with a blind test taker, Angelo Bino. Angelo Bino was a pre-law student looking to take the LSAT, apply to law school. The thing was that he was he's blind. And so as a result of being blind, he couldn't really benefit from diagramming logic games the way that most test takers can. And so he felt that he was at an unfair disadvantage relative to others. And so he sued contending that he was at under the Americans with Disabilities Act. He wanted fair compensation in some way to mm-hmm. account for this. So, all right. So fair compensation. So the question is, Logic games, I mean, they've been a part of the LSAT since I took the LSAT a long time ago. But how do you compensate someone for not being able to participate in what's probably roughly one third? Is that about fair to say? What percentage of the LSAT? So, so, so currently it's about one third. Back when he was suing them, it was about one fourth. But either way, I mean, given the difference of just a few points, right. that, that makes a significant impact on your chances, right? Yeah. Um, so my first question is, how do you compensate someone for that? That's a great question. There's not really an easy answer to that one. And LSAC is very big on statistics and properly calibrating everything. So if you just, I could imagine one possible solution would be at the time, since it was one quarter of the exam, you just remove that section for him, 
let him take the other three sections and then effectively uh, imagine some sort of prorated version of the exam. What would be his ultimate score if it only had 75 questions or so rather than 100? Right. Um, and he was not satisfied with that or or uh... I don't think I don't think they offered him that solution. That might have been my solution for, mm-hmm. for him at the time. If I were LSAC, they basically said tough luck, essentially. And they say, we give you all sorts of other accommodations. There's someone who will read the exam questions to you. Mm-hmm. There's, you, know, you can get maybe get extra time. But he said, you know, ultimately, to do equally well as other test takers on logic games, I would need to be able to diagram. I can't do that. I can't juggle all this stuff in my head, which I think is pretty reasonable. I mean, right. I don't right. think I could do as well on logic games doing it all in my head, right? right. So I, I think he had a point there. So he sues. Where do he sue? Do you know which, uh, where? I'm assuming it was federal court. You don't know where, do you? I don't know where I do. I do believe it was federal since it was under the Americans with Disabilities Act. And right. so ultimately they they settled the lawsuit in fall of 2019. And what was the result? So the result was that LSAC agreed to complete research and development into a new version of the exam without the, that would allow test takers to take a version of the exam without the logic game section. They would complete that research and development within the next four years. Right. All right. So that's now. That's only that's a, that's a, about a year away. We're almost there. So they have actually started that research and development process. Mm-hmm. And you, but you don't know how it's going to come out, do you? I have guesses. I mean, no one knows for certain. LSAC has not formally announced everything. I mean, of course, completing research and development is a little bit different from saying we will definitely remove the game section altogether. And right. so some of the headlines you see around this are a little bit hyperbolic, I guess. But it does seem that they're making big steps, which suggests that they will probably change the exam for everyone. Yeah. Well, all right. So a few things. One is that's it's unfortunate that they they I I would let me how do I say this? I hope that they come up with a fair test for everyone that does kind of um, lock into the logic and analysis because one of the things I like to tell my students is that the keys to success in law school is to get out of your undergrad head. That law school is about analysis, right? And it's about logic and thinking. And I always find it so ironic because the skill set that gets you the grades to get into law school, memorizing during lectures, right, is not the skill set that gets you good grades in law school. You have to completely do a 180. So that was why I liked um, the LSAC. I have one other question on this. You may or may not know the answer, but I know when we talk about the affirmative action cases that a lot of these cases are brought by plaintiffs who are found by a public interest group that's interested in bringing down affirmative action. So they basically go out, find a plaintiff, say to the plaintiff, we see that you've been injured and, you know, injured meaning, you know, haven't gotten into their school and not physically injured. And we're going to support your law, your your challenge. Do you think that happened here? Or do you think this was, I mean, this was just someone who rightfully so felt he was being unfairly um, hindered? That is a great question. So you're suggesting that in some cases there's more of like an activist attorney who yes. goes around looking yeah. For, yeah. for plaintiffs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, in, in this case, I'm not so sure about that. I mean, it's interesting because actually... Angelo Bino, who is the, the 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 lead plaintiff on this, he he's blind. The attorney who represented him is also blind. Oh, so I'm not sure who who um, started things off, but I do know that also. I'm pretty sure there have been other lawsuits on the part of blind test takers. There, I think there was one on the, from the National Federation of the Blind that was a separate lawsuit. Right. I'm fuzzy on the details of that one, but 
I, I would imagine in that case, of course, there was an organization, a nonprofit, mm-hmm. starting kind of spurring on that one. But this one, I'm not really sure, to be honest. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I'm sorry. I was just going to say that in this case, I mean, given that these are pre-law students specifically who are already somewhat legally minded, I wouldn't be surprised if it was the pre-laws themselves who were spurring this one. Right, right. And we don't know what score he got, do we? I don't think we know. I I, I actually, I don't know know off the top of my head, but I I would guess it's probably publicly available with a little bit of digging. And here's the thing with LSAC. I mean, in the case of accommodations, they look at someone who got, let's say hypothetically, a 155, and they say- a 155 is above the median, which is a 151. Therefore, you weren't at an unfair disadvantage. And you could say, well, I got a 155 under these less than ideal conditions. Right. Just imagine how much better I could have done had right. I gotten proper accommodations and gotten a 165 or a 175. How would that change things for me? Right. So I don't know what his score was. I, I think it was above the median, which might have been why they weren't doing as much as they could have. All right. So that's really interesting. And I find it triply interesting that they're talking about changing the logic games at a time when there's a potential for the LSAT to become obsolete. I know that's a grand idea, but I do also know um, that the ABA has been thinking about it. That some, first of all, some schools will take the GRE in lieu of the LSAT. Um, and the ABA is now thinking of eroding that even further and saying, we don't need you to take an LSAT. And as someone who's been on the admissions committee a lot of times, that's a little problematic because one of the things that the LSAT does do, barring the discussion we just had about inequity based on ability, is that it gives us kind of an easy way to say, okay, we're cutting the line here, above the line you're in, and we don't need to go through thousands and thousands of applications. And also, it's fair. So I, you know, so I, I, it's interesting to me. So tell me a little bit about the ABA and their plans. Yeah, sure. And I think it's a, it's a great point you made that, I mean, the LSAT is kind of an, an equalizer in terms of it allows admissions committees to compare applicants from different backgrounds, regardless of different majors and such. So I get what you're saying there. And I, I agree with you, actually, in terms of its usefulness. The you know, There's a big test optional movement in higher education overall, of course, and legal fields a bit slower than others to adapt to changes, but it's finally reached the LSAT and the American Bar Association. It's um in this it's been up for a vote a few times. This time, it looks like it's finally going to go through. Uh, last month in November, the ABA Legal Education Committee approved the proposed revisions to Standard 503, which requires currently that law schools use a valid and reliable admission test. Used to be just the LSAT. They since added in the GRE, as you, as you mentioned. So valid and reliable admission test is quite open-ended. They want to remove that language and say, you can consider it, but you're not required to use it. So law schools may be free to continue using the LSAT or others exam as a requirement, but they will no longer be obligated to do so. If this change goes through in February, which is the final step, which it almost certainly will, then that change affects law school admissions starting fall 2025. You know, and I wonder if schools will continue to use the LSAT. And I also wonder if it'll serve as a hindrance to, to, to applicants. Like, why would I go to a school that asks for an LSAT if I don't like my LSAT, which kind of ties into this whole U.S. News and World Report issue, right? Because if you, you know, one of the reasons applicants pick schools is based on the rankings, which we can have another discussion on rankings. I am not a fan of the rankings. But that aside, I'm thinking to myself, let's say two schools are equally ranked. One school takes the LSAT, one doesn't. I'm applying to the school that doesn't take the LSAT, unless... The LSAT will get me money, I guess. 
Well, that's a, that's a great point, actually, is that your LSAT score has a big impact on your ability to get merit scholarships. And so, and it gives you merit scholarships because law schools that, you know, law schools want to raise their status in the rankings. So it does tie in very clearly and very closely with the rankings. So that's a great point. There are concerns, let's say schools that don't require the rankings, don't require the LSAT, will they get a flood of applications from applicants who maybe are not as strong candidates or maybe those who are not considering law school as seriously? That's an open question. So we'll kind of see which law schools do remove that requirement. Oh, you know, I didn't think about that. Like, no pun intended, but the LSAT is a bar to entry. <laughs> <laughs> and so you're right. It, 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 it behooves a school to take them for that reason. The other thing is the reason, as I understand it, that the LSAT gets you money for a merit scholarship is because a higher LSAT is of value to a school because of the U.S. News and World Report. So if the U.S. News and World isn't relevant anymore, then the higher LSAT may not be relevant anymore. That is true. And then one consequence of that might be that given that LSAT scores are the strongest single predictor of first year law school grades, which then ties into bar passage rates, would schools that accept applicants without an LSAT score who might have done worse on the LSAT, might those schools see a drop in their bar passage rates, which then could potentially jeopardize their ABA accreditation? This is, of course, a lot of ifs and maybes, but I'm just following the chain all the way to the end. That, that's a really good point, too. So there's two reasons for a school to accept the LSAT. One is to um, make it, you know, as we said, kind of like that means you really want to um, be admitted to law school. You know, you, you've taken that extra step. You've studied that more. And it also does tie to bar passage rate. A bar passage rate is always going to be a predictor. I don't see them getting rid of the bar in any anytime soon. And the reason the bar is called the bar is because it's a bar to get, it's not because you drink, it's a bar <laughs> to getting into law school. So um, yeah. And here's, and here's one other reason that schools might want to use the LSAT. I mean, they're currently, they have been required to use some valid and reliable admission test. That has typically been the LSAT. LSAT is still is the biggest player in town, but law schools aren't required to weigh it as heavily as they do. I mean, they could say we're going to consider it 1% right. out of 100, right. but they. I mean, my understanding is based on the, the published admissions indices on LSAC's website that most schools weigh the LSAT more heavily than GPA and typically something like three to five times as highly, higher, higher than GPA maybe perhaps in part due to things like grade inflation or different variation in difficulty of different majors. Wow. So, all right. So I'm a law student. I'm a, I'm a high uh, college student thinking about applying to law school. What do I do? Act as if nothing's changed. I mean, the things that we're talking about are all very interesting and the, they could affect things down the line. But if you're listening to this now and you're not yet in law school, you probably will be in the next couple of years which means that this is all very interesting. So everything is changing, but also at the same time, nothing is changing. Logic games will not be changed on the LSAT until at the earliest, I would guess, June 2024. We're speaking now very end of 2022. And then the ABA removing the requirement that law schools use the LSAT, that change will not go into effect until fall 2025, assuming it does go through. And even when it does go through starting fall 2025, Law schools will probably, for the most part, still require the LSAT, even if they are not required to require the LSAT. So that's a bit of legal mumbo jumbo for you there, but that that is the consequence. So I would act as if nothing has changed. All right. So you want to keep studying for the LSAT. And if you need to study for the LSAT, um, Steve, tell us about your podcast, your website, and and all of the free goodies that you supply to students who are interested in taking the um, LSAT and doing well in it. 
Of course, of course, Leslie, I'm glad to help. So again, my name is Steve Schwartz. I'm the founder and CEO of LSAT Unplugged. I've got tons of free resources, including uh, including the LSAT Unplugged YouTube channel, the LSAT Unplugged podcast. I also have live online classes via Zoom several nights a week, along with study groups and on-demand videos covering the basics. So if you're just getting started, you can dive in with my resources. And of course, you can always reach out to me for more help. You can email me, help at lsatunplugged.com. And I will tell you, as a law professor of more years than I'm willing to admit, there's no one better in the business. Thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me, Steve. Thanks so much for having me, Leslie. Appreciate it. So that's my discussion with Steve Schwartz. Hope you enjoyed it. Check out Legal Tensor if you have a chance. And thank you again, everyone, for your support and help with Law to Fact. As you know, or regular listeners know, I do it on my own. I produce it on my own. And I am not a podcast producer. I'm a law professor. So it is a labor of love. And I'm glad that you all seem to love it. Take care.